to the conversation today. Welcome, Mr. McNair. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, gentlemen, let's go ahead and jump in here. Let's just start out by asking the question, why do prisons exist? Why did they come about in the first place? They're fixtures in society all over the world, but what brought them about in the first place? Mr. Frank, let's go ahead and start with you. Yeah, with well, the early records, as far as we can piece it together, going way back er earliest history, they were temporary stopgaps uh, for s before sentencing to death or slavery. The earliest records we have in history come from the first millennia BC. I'm quoting from an article about history of prisons from the internet. And this was located in the great civilizations of Mesopotamia and Egypt. And again, they were, these prisoners were either awaiting a death sentence or to become slaves, like galley slaves on ships. In uh, the period of the Greco-Macedonian uh, Empire, prisoners were often held in poorly isolated buildings and chained to wooden blocks during their incarceration attached to their feet. In the Roman Empire, uh, even harsher methods, so they were often underground, uh, tight claustrophobic passages between cells, and majority of prisoners were either executed or became slaves, including gladiators, the infamous gladiators in the Roman Empire. It wasn't until King John, 1215, the Magna Carta, that in European history, uh, it was stated that no man could be imprisoned without trial. It's amazing it took that long to establish that fact. And then um, they, the British in particular employed military pardon, or as if you were caught for a crime you could join the army and pay off your debt, or you'd be transported to the United States or to Australia, to other colonies so the British around the world. It's in fairly modern times that prisons have become rehabilitation centers, at least that has been their intent. So they've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like they were originally created not to be these long-term holding facilities, but sort of a stopgap measure mm -hmm. between sending you somewhere or putting you to death. Yeah. I any other thoughts? <coughs> you know, exactly. Uh, piggybacking on what Mr. Frank is saying, that they, the uh, the in the the purpose today is to at least outwardly to rehabilitate to that let's get these people back into society let's let's help them to be contributing uh, upstanding uh, citizens where they can this is not long term unfortunately the the system's broken because what we find is I think within the first five years of someone getting out of prison uh, eighty percent of them are back in prison or rearrested. Mm -hmm. So clearly, uh, whether it's being in prison for a long term or getting out and winding up back in prison, it it's becomes a cycle, and it's uh, it it becomes a long term incarceration uh, in all too many cases. Well, that takes me to sort of a, a corollary question here: What are some of the problems that we see in the prison systems today? Be besides there being now such a long-term situation, and you, you may have some numbers to, to put to that, but what are some of the other problems that we have with our public um, incarceration systems? Well, uh, again, the, the a big part is that where is the rehabilitation? Uh, where is the punishment fitting the crime? Uh, 
uh, for example, I think in one of the one of the uh, articles that we've been doing to prepare for the program, it uh, it pointed out that <coughs> the average uh, length of time to be in in jail in prison for the first offense for a robbery was three years. Okay, so uh, clearly. Um, is that the best way to approach someone who's stealing mm -hmm. uh, to to throw them in jail for three years? Are there other solutions? Are there other ways instead of putting them in a, into a an environment that is only going to teach them uh, to do that more? There there are other solutions, and we'll talk about that. But that's one example. Does the punishment fit the crime? I think uh, mentally. It's a hopeless situation for many of them. Uh, they need to have some reason to reform, if we want to use that term, which is common prison language. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be motivated to want to change a lifestyle because the recidivism rates are so high, as uh, Mr. McNair mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a better option for these people. And so basic principles of living need to be taught and it needs to start with the home. But the prisons as well need to do something to help these people uh, establish themselves into a career or a business of some sort so that when they get out they have something to shoot for as opposed to turning to a crime to make a living. If I can add one sure. more thing that we were talking about before, as, as you mentioned, once you get out of prison, then what? Uh, all too often, uh, the ticket for getting back into society is getting a decent job, earning a living, being able to support yourself and take care of yourself. Um, but how many, uh, how many of, you know, how, how many people who have a felony on their record, who's going to employ them? Now we can understand from an employer's point of view, uh, you'd have serious questions. But at the same time, if we don't have a mechanism for helping these people get back into the 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 the, the whole system, uh, we're it's just going to happen over and over again, and and that is really a big problem. Well, that's interesting. I, if I can jump in with just a personal story, I've worked with. A number of people who've been incarcerated over the years, and um, some of them for 20 or 30 years, and they're coming up for parole, and they're worried because they've got to get back into the system, but they don't have any connections out there. And one of the prerequisites in most cases, if you're going to go out for parole and be released, is you've got to have a sponsor, somebody who's going to sort of keep track of you and vouch for you. and if you've done something 20 or 30 years ago that, that that was that bad, you've lost connections with your family, who's going to sponsor you? The, the system is piecemeal. And so if you can't come up with someone, you're, you stay in prison, mm -hmm. which sort of speaks to what you're talking about. Yeah. There's no exit plan in, in that sense. They yep. throw you out on the, on the curb. Yeah. And uh, now, you know, there are, there are, programs there are groups that are trying to do that but it just mm -hmm. doesn't seem like it's a it's a widespread right um, initiative yep. yeah I dealt with a prisoner years ago uh, who had asked for a visit and um, <clears throat> he had more or less become disconnected from his mother so when he was released he had virtually nowhere to go and he was looking to us we were a small scattered church we could not do a lot to provide a job or a place to live 
he ended up on the street living in a car somewhere and went right back to previous crimes, went back to prison. But the good news of that story was, years later, at our annual church conference, a stranger came up to me and said, Hello, Mr. Feng, do you remember me? And the man had gotten himself straightened out, hmm. had gotten out of prison, had a job, and gotten married, and was now stabilized, hmm. and was a member of our church. Wow. So it can be done. But again, it's got to be the number of steps, the intermediate steps that lead up to that. There's a, there's a program in Wisconsin that has been going on for some years where the manufacturers uh, are, are hooked up with, uh, with individuals who have been incarcerated and getting out of prison. And, and it's a tremendous program. It's a one-week program they have to apply for. And what it is is they, they, they have the, the individual, the men and the women, go through this, this course where they learn skills like being on time, uh, conflict resolution, uh, you know, b being honest, things that are going to really help them to get back into society. And uh, if they're willing, if they try, if they want to, if they really put forth effort, it's a tremendous program because it gives them then at the end of that one week, it's, it's just one week, it's, it's one week packed with classes, then they are virtually guaranteed at least an interview with an employer. And so there are models of things that could be done, it's just that they're few and far between. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, Mr. Frank, maybe you mentioned punishment fitting the crime as one of the, the drawbacks of the system today. Are you familiar with, have you heard about any kinds of situations where people are incarcerated where, you know, the punishment just seems way worse than the crime or, or less than the crime is worth? I think some of the, the uh, uh, imprisonments for drug-related issues can lend themselves to that. And what happens, at least with dealing with some people like that, uh, criminals can be, uh, those who are put in prison can become hardened. And they learn worse crimes among the people they have to associate with in prison. Mm. And um, when they get out, they've learned some new, a new bag of tricks on how to get away with breaking the law. So that is always the danger. But in the, the Bible, for, for example, theft, there was restitution. The principle of restitution, that if you were a th thief and you were caught, you were not incarcerated where you could not repay the debt. You had to go out and work mm -hmm. and repay sometimes three, four times more than the item you stole was worth. Mm -hmm. And it taught you a lesson of restitution. Mm -hmm. uh, that needs to be reinstated eventually. It will be uh, if sometime in the future, we hope. You know, speaking of problems, of uh, it's even a, a a matter of big business. I think we were talking about the the before the program mm -hmm. that there are private companies now that are in it for big business and mm -hmm. that that are being used as as uh, as um, you know uh, as contractors and building facilities. And it's interesting when you look at how they are lobbying the government against uh, shorter sentencing, against some of the efforts of, 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 of trying to uh, reform some of the laws that might be 
a little bit fast in incarcerating people. They're actually lobbying the government against that because it's, it's, it's good money for them. And so it, it's really interesting. There's so many different parts of this. Uh, I think one statistic was it, it's like a $3.3 billion industry. Um, and f that's just for these, the two biggest employers, the two biggest contractors of private prisons. So a lot of hands in the pot, a lot of money involved. Is it really going to get fixed mm. in this well, world? Well, especially when some of those um, prison companies, they're making money, but they're employing thousands of people in different states. Uh, which is also generating tax dollars and, and state revenues. So right. everybody's benefiting from the prison system in, in a number of states right. today. I think one of these companies we're talking about um, is heavily involved with the migration, the immigrant uh, incarceration, mm -hmm. which is still a major problem in this country yeah. right. that yeah. we need to deal with. Yes. Right. Yeah, so there, there are a number of problems with the prison system, systems as we talk about it today. High rates of incarceration. Um, the United States has one of the highest in the world, which is interesting. Uh, and we're talking about rates, not, not the actual numbers, but, but the rates are high, as they are in a number of states around the world. Mr. Frank got to it just a minute ago, and that's, I'd like to shift gears and, and begin to think about solutions a little bit. The Bible gives us some interesting principles. And you know, it's interesting, the statistics or the, the, uh, the background on prisons that Mr. Frank was talking about at the very beginning, the Bible goes pretty far back too, all the way back to the book of Genesis. When I think about Joseph being incarcerated in Pharaoh's court or in, in, uh, in Egypt. So they've been around for a really long time. But the Bible, this historical book, also gives some pretty practical ideas on how do we solve this problem. And so I guess I would ask the question, what is God's approach? We, we believe, as Paul talked about it, the Bible is the inspired word of God. What is God's approach to this whole idea of prison and prisoners and incarceration? It goes right back to Genesis 1 and 2. First two chapters, God created Adam, and then he created Eve. And he said that man and woman were to be one flesh, and they were to populate the earth, go forth and multiply, so that you had a father and a mother in the home situation to raise those children. And each sex has certain qualities that need to be part of the training process for the children. And perhaps we'll touch on it later, but the fatherless rates have encouraged these high crime rates among especially uh, children in the teenage early 20s. So that goes right back to Genesis. And uh, of course, we have other uh, principles we'll get to. Let's, let's go there for a minute, what you're talking about. Uh, what kind of data do we see related to fatherlessness? And, and before we go there, I actually just want to make a quick observation. When we talk about um, fatherlessness, we are not pointing fingers at moms and, and single mothers who are striving and struggling to make ends meet and to try to do the best for their kids that they possibly can. This is not a condemnation of mothers. What this is is just recognizing, as you said, uh, when you can put a father and a mother together, now you've got two doing the job instead of one. You're sharing those responsibilities. Mm -hmm. You're sharing those opportunities. You're, you're helping each other. You're lifting each other up. Mm -hmm. And father personalities and mother personalities and, and approaches 
really are complementary yes. for that young person growing up for that child. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like 70 or 80% of youths who are detained did not have a father. And so there, there clearly is something that fathers are instrumental in, and, and this uh, different experts have brought this out, that you, as you said, you need mothers and fathers. Um, the fathers are, are really, especially for teenage boys, for as boys get bigger, uh, they, they need a dad, they need a father. There was a, a, a program that, that I read about that where they, uh, they instituted a, a dads patrolling the neighborhood. And uh, it was remarkable how it cut down on stuff going on among young teenage boys in the neighborhood. Uh, they, need their, they need dads, they need men, male figures who are known in the neighborhood who are, who are there to be their friends, they're the, the, they know each other, they know everybody. But unfortunately, in too many cases, there are no men around like that. And so, I mean, the data is there that that's, that's, that's re become a huge deficit in our, in our culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's not that moms aren't around. Right. Um, in many cases, if they're trying to do the best for their family, they're probably working two or three jobs just to try and make ends meet and try and support their children. But then if they're working two or three jobs, who's watching the kids and, and keeping them on the straight and narrow? Right. I think another issue related to this is the extended family. Uh, I heard an interview with General Colin Powell years ago, and he grew up in an urban area, and he talked about how they would play in the street, all the kids, and if they got up to mischief, a window would open down the street, and an aunt or an uncle would yell out, so-and-so, I saw that, I'm going to tell your mother. And so they were keeping an eye on the children uh, to kind of help the parents, especially if they were working more than one job uh, and maybe had a large family. So yes, it begins, though, with the parents, but it does extend to other people, even close friends. Mm. Well, today, what happens to many families? Where are the... The extended families, well, they may be scattered all over a state or all over a country or right. all over the world. Right. As we become more isolated as people, as individuals, as families, everyone's dis disjointed, everyone's disconnected from extended family. In the family itself, we're disconnected from each other. Everyone goes to their own room, their own thing, that does their own thing. And so it, it's a function of that. You're right. It, there's less less accountability, less, we're less tied in. It's one thing interesting about uh, uh, culture in the Philippines, how uh, they, they uh, we, we've heard it said before that it's very difficult to, to, uh, to, to be a sort of a serial, uh, 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 you know, offender in the Philippines because everybody knows what's going on in the neighborhood around them. Everyone is, is as neighbors, they're, they're watching, they're, mm -hmm. they're looking and, and knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, we have gone to the opposite extreme in our culture today where everybody wants privacy and so we're disconnected. We don't have those ties. Interesting. And social media seems to be encouraging this problem yeah. where family members in the same household are hardly talking to each other even during mealtime right. when they're gathered together. Right. It's a serious problem. Right. What other kind of godly principles do you see that give us insights into God's view on prisons and incarceration? You know, there, there's one thing that, that is very famous. The Bible is famous for the principle of the eye for an eye. 
tooth for a tooth, mm -hmm. and how, how that was a part of the Old Testament. And it's sort of assumed that this was a very vengeful policy, that you saw a lot of people walking around in ancient Israel without eyes or without teeth. But it's not. It actually was an attempt for punishment to fit the crime, as opposed to pagan societies before God introduced this, that where the, the, the punishment for, for very small uh, infractions could be death, could be slavery. It's just on the whim of, of a king. And so, uh, as, as Mr. Frank, you talked about a little while ago, restitution, uh, if there was an accidental uh, you know, death of, a, of, a, of an ox. You know, there's a statute where it says, okay, you sell the ox, you divide the money, and, um, and you divide it between the two. Accidental death. Uh, there are ways to do it, but they have to fit, and, and, and they're, they're, you know, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, meaning there has to be some uh, equivalence between the crime and the punishment. Yeah, I remember working in a, in a project a number of years ago, we were evaluating the mental health system in a state, and we were actually in a women's prison, interviewing, doing a focus group with half a dozen ladies in this prison. And one of them, I can't remember if she was in for five or 10 years for writing bad checks. Now, that's stealing. Uh, writing bad checks is stealing. But five or 10 years, whereas somebody else might have kidnapped someone and gotten out in three. So that, that, that concept of justice, just God's system is so much better yeah. in that way. Ancient Israel had a system when the tribes took their allotments uh, through uh, the work of Joshua. Of, they called them refuge, cities of refuge. Mm -hmm. that were on each side of the Jordan River. As I recall, there were about six of them. And if you accidentally killed someone, or even if you murdered, you could run to that city, and then the elders would give you a trial, a quick trial. And if you were pro proven guilty, then the revenger of blood would have access to that person, mm -hmm. a family member. But if it was manslaughter, an accidental death, mm -hmm. that slayer still had to stay in that city until the death of the high priest. He paid a price. He didn't get off scot-free. Again, it was equal and fair justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting what you're talking about how God is a God of law, you know, Christ was, the prophecy about Christ was it said that he would exalt the law, make it magnify it, make yeah. it honorable. God is a God of law. So all the things we're talking about here are not throwing away laws, but just making them equitable and making them hopeful. Mm -hmm. The other, another statute is about the Jubilee where, where mm -hmm. people might have to uh, they might lose their property because of a bad, you know, business, you know, deal, or they, they fall into poverty, but they're not locked into a cycle for it generation after generation. It's a beautiful, beautiful system. Forgiving of unforgivable debt. Right. Mercy, isn't it? Yeah. Israel uh, was allowed to buy slaves of the nations around them, but not enslave their own people. If someone fell into debt, they became an indentured servant. They would sell their services to a master for a certain number of years. And it went in that seven-year cycle. And either they paid off the debt or they were released from that debt at the end of that time. 
again, with the Jubilee in the, this law I'm referring to, it was to clean the slate and give everyone a fair chance to start over again because we know in economic uh, matters, people are not equal. <laughs> Right. Some do better than others. Right. Sometimes a circumstance that leads to that. Right. But then they could start over again. And they always look forward to those jubilees in the seven-year release. You know what another inequitable part of this is that in our system, you don't get justice just because you are a human being. You get as much quote-unquote justice as you can pay for. So. If you have the resources, if you have the money, then you're going to be, you're going to get the best lawyers mm -hmm. that you can find and that you that can be found. Yeah. And you're going to have a totally different experience when you commit a crime than if you have no resources. And so there, there are all kinds of things that would change, will change when the millennium when, when Christ is in charge and, and, and levels the playing field and puts together a, a whole system that is equitable for everyone. <clears throat> Mr. McNair, you were mentioning before a scripture in Isaiah um, that really, Isaiah 61, that really gives a, I think, a clear perspective on what Christ thinks about prison <laughs> and the whole concept of captivity. And I was wondering if you could share that. Yeah, yeah. When he, I think it was when he started his. Um, ministry, uh, one of the, th he went into the synagogue, uh, I think it's in Luke uh, 4, 18, and it, he was reading from the law, and he said, he, he quoted Isaiah, he talked about how the, he would come, the Messiah would come to bring, proclaim liberty to the captives, and let the oppressed go free. Um, so, it's interesting that that was the that was the, the part that he read when his ministry w was beginning. And clearly, he is not about uh, impressing people and, and uh, long-term enslaving people, but the whole, the whole point is to let, have, help us to understand and, and experience true liberty. And we need to, I think, add as well that Jesus talked about the source of such sin in the book of Matthew. In a red letter Bible, if you have one, Jesus says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. So we have liberty as being promised by Jesus Christ, but he's also going to deal with the source of the trouble to begin with, mm -hmm. that people have to repent. They have to turn to God for forgiveness. Yeah. And they have to agree to change their whole way of thinking right. and their relationship with God and with other men. And there is, there is mercy. There is mercy. I mean, when we understand yeah. God's, when we understand reality, we understand, we come to understand that all of us have earned the death penalty and that Christ gave his life for all of us so that we don't have to pay that death penalty. And what a tremendous gift that is for all mankind. There is hope, because all of us are, you know, <laughs> are basically in our, in our sinful state, are in that position of being, facing uh, punishment. 
and yet how merciful he is. If, as you said, yeah. if we repent. Yeah. Paul even used that language in some of the modern translations. He said he was a prisoner to the law of sin that worked in his members. Mm -hmm. And that's the word he used, it's at least in some of the newer versions mm -hmm. of the Bible. Mm -hmm. He considered himself a prisoner. That concept of hope yeah. frees us from prison, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a concept that we see in the Word of God, but it's something that we see, it seems to be lacking in the prison and the prison systems today. You get into the system and it, you get into the system because of lack of hope, but then you get bogged down and stuck in the yes. system and you don't have any more mm -hmm. hope. Yeah. Let me wind this down. We've actually marched through our time here this afternoon. What I'd like to ask you is to, to give us some parting comments as we, as we leave this afternoon this, this topic, which has been interesting to discuss. It's hopefully been encouraging on some level for our audience. What, are, what is a take-home point? that each of you would like to leave the audience with today. Mr. Frank? I would say it has to start with a stable home life. As God had uh, elucidated in the opening chapters of Genesis, teaching basic principles in the home, like hard work to earn an income, fair treatment, debt forgiveness, restoring stolen goods. Uh, these are things that came out of the Word of God to establish a just civil society. And that's what Israel was to, supposed to have been. They didn't always live up to it, but they had the teaching of God, the Torah, available to them to employ that in their culture. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mr. McNair? Absolutely. Uh, and I would just add that God created us in His image. He created every human being every man, every woman who's ever lived, who ever will live in his image. And he does not approve of a system that dehumanizes mankind. And, and so whatever is going to change, whatever is going to be different, it's going to r restore the fact that every human being has value and is made in his image, has the potential to be a God being. Mm. Yeah. And for those of us who've been in prisons before, I think you become very aware of the dehumanizing effects, not, mm -hmm. only, to you, not only to the visitors right. who have to right. come yeah. into the prison, yeah. but the prisoners themselves and, and how they could be treated so much better. Yes, they've broken rules and laws and they've ostracized themselves, but at the same time, they're still human beings made in the image of God. Right. Thank you for joining us today. You know, as we've talked, imprisonment is a millennia-old practice and one that seems very popular among some nations today. Sadly, our prison system often reflects failures in greater society. Because of society, situations and failed relationships, we and our children are not being ingrained with the understanding of right and wrong, proper respect for authority, as was mentioned, and the value of hard work. And because of societal failures, many of our youth, primarily our young men, are angry and feel life is hopeless. The prison system itself is also flawed. Some prisoners are wrongly convicted. Punishments don't always fit the crime, as we've talked about, and prisons themselves are often unsafe, corrupt, and dehumanizing. God's ways outlined in the Bible that we've talked about today are so different. God begins in the home by creating a viable and lasting marriage to support a loving and effective child-rearing situation. 
God's intended system works to feed the poor and pay an honest day's wage for hard work. God's intended system is also designed to minimize and eventually forgive unpayable debts, as we've also talked about. Locking people up is man's attempt to put a band-aid on a broken system. Thankfully, there is a better time coming when Christ returns, a time depicted and predicted in the pages of your Bible. And for more information on that, I'd like to encourage you to order and or read uh, The World Ahead. What will it be like? This booklet is free for the asking. You can find it on tomorrowsworld.org website. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for being here with us today. Thanks thank for your feedback. Thanks for your comments. Thanks for what I feel are encouraging words. And they, they give us an idea that this is not what God intended, but there is something better out there. For the rest of you, thank you for being here with us today. We'd like to encourage you to come back and view Tomorrow's World with us next week. In fact, next week we plan to discuss the topic of alcohol. You won't want to miss it.